All episodes of the Garage Build podcast are recorded live in the Law Fran Studios. The law offices of Fran Hosh, Palm Harbor, Florida. Call 1-866-LAW-FRAN or go to lawfran.com. The law offices of Fran Hosh, serving the Tampa Bay biker community for over 20 years. Another episode of the Garage Build Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Jason Hallman. Hey, listen, I need you to do me a favor. Make sure you visit our sponsors. They make this happen for us. And this episode has been brought to you by the Arlen Ness Motorcycle Company. You will save 10% and receive free shipping in the lower 48 when you use the sales code GarageBuilt10 on all of your orders at ArlenNess.com. We are also brought to you by Bell Helmets USA. Make sure you follow at Bell Helmets under Power. So Bell Helmets underscore power to see the latest in helmet design and safety. See your local Bell Helmets dealer to order your new Bell Helmet today. Electric lighting features top shelf LEDs backed by 30 years of industry leading manufacturing and the best warranty in the marketplace. Make sure you use the sales code speed 2022 and you're going to get free shipping in the lower 48 on all orders over $50 at namscustomcycleproducts.com. As always, I am wearing 1620 premium made in the USA workwear. It is guaranteed for life. GarageBuilt podcast listeners get the biggest discount on the planet, 20% when you use Speed 2022 at checkout at 1620USA.com. Check out their new work shorts for summer. It's made of a Nyko type material. Real breathable, stretchable, real good work shorts. This October, join myself and 3,500 rowdies on the high seas rally we are flying out of port canaveral one week four caribbean ports what could go wrong follow at high seas rally on instagram and use the code speed metal and you're going to save 100 bucks when you book your cabin last but not least we are brought to you by team dream rides in maryville tennessee they're your one-stop shop for v-twin service repair performance tuning and used motorcycle sales visit teamdreamrides.com and follow at dream rides tennessee on instagram to see the used bike inventory today i have a very special guest miss chris brown from hard drive part of the western power sports family so without further ado it's time for the garage Bill podcast You're listening to the Garage Build Podcast with your host, Jason Coleman. There it is. Miss Chris Brown from Hard Drive. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm good. I'm gonna I'm gonna tone down my radio voice now, now that we're on the we're just having a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, listen, I, we were talking a little bit in pre-show and I know that you're not normally used to being, uh, being interviewed, but this is an interview that I've wanted to do for so very long. And I, it's very near and dear to me for lots of different reasons. One, um, you and I have both been in this industry for an extremely long period of time. We have very similar backgrounds and you're doing something that I, I champion and, and I don't want to belabor it, but I do want to acknowledge it. You know, I, tr I'm bringing my daughter up in this business. She'll be the third generation owner of cycle stop USA. And I try to get her to understand on a daily basis that 
There are so many powerful women in our industry, and you're one of them. And so I commend you for that because not only you know did did you move up through the ranks organically, and you've put your time in being an independent shop owner. And I want to I want to dive into that a little bit. But you give people like my daughter and Summer from the Ride Factory in Ybor City, and Pam out at. Um, Cyclorama in Pinellas and you know you have Lisa Baker and there's all these women that are kind of some of them are behind the scenes and some of them are very pivotal you know Vanessa Clock all these people what I want people to understand mm-hmm. especially my daughter is that you can do this this is this is not a it's not a man's world and it's and it it doesn't have to be and you don't have to be a prissy little girl to do it and you don't have to be you know some you know hard aggressive person to do it too. You can look good, have fun, do the whole thing, but you've come up through the ranks in the most organic way. Yeah, I try. It's been a long 23 years, but it's been fun. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you've also done something that, you know, there's kind of like this, uh, this inorganic or a very organic rather, not inorganic, but a very organic kind of fraternal order of people that have been in this business. Once we get past the, the 10 year mark, the 15 year mark, get close to the 20 year mark. There's this conversations that have happened that you and I have had them before where, you know, we've just done a lot, seen a lot, been a lot of places and you've kind of, you've been able to pull yourself out of the independent, uh, independent shop owner space and get it into the distributor space. So your, your career has entered its adolescence and you're taking all of that knowledge of how hard it is at the ground floor, at the front counter and you're helping us. So I feel like we have an advocate inside. Yes, having, um, and just to be clear, like I didn't actually, I didn't own a shop outside of Boston. I actually ran a couple of shops there. Um, and I was a, a huge part in that uh, between, um, you know, taking care of the mechanics and working with the customers and taking care of my distributors and my partners and, and, and building parts and wrenching on bikes and, and having a good time. But you do learn a lot with the the, the expectations, and they're not unrealistic, they're just the necessity expectations of what dealers really need to be successful in today's day and age. Um, and back then, you know, we had uh, a glimpse of the internet compared to what people have at their fingertips right now. So um, that's a huge thing for me is just education and get those dealers uh, understanding product, understanding how to make bit better business choices, how to understand margins, how to bit understand to be uh fresh and which vendors to support the the ones that are going to support you so it's been um it's been a wild ride for sure getting into distribution and taking that type of knowledge at the shop with the customer the riders the bikes um and guiding these vendors into what what they need to manufacture and how they need to do their forecasting and their raw material supplies and and what they should build to make their customer, you know, to make themselves successful, to make us successful as a distributor, and it all just trickles downhill. So it's a, um, it's a lot of experience and put, you know, put into application every day. It's pretty cool. I have so many different questions that I, I want to ask, and, I, and I'm I'm really struggling with, with where to start because I don't want to lose the thought that I have. I have a, a habit of that. I have like a goldfish uh, memory where like I think of something, and if I don't just blurt it out, I lose it. But go for it. What. <laughs> When you when you look at the arc of of your career and you you take a step back and you go okay I've done this I've done that um, and the fact that you didn't own the shop it doesn't mean anything you understand what it's like to stand on the on the uh, other side of the counter when when you finally got to the distribution level and you peeled back the curtain and looked what did you see that you were like oh wow I man I just 
didn't think it was like that. Oh, it was a total Alice in Wonderland effect. Like, to be honest, as a as a customer, as a writer, as a shop person, um, I thought I understood it. I was really close with a lot of my reps, um, especially like my drag rep from New England, Bill Newell. He was phenomenal. Um, he he spent a lot of time with me, and he was one of those kind of people that helped me as a young woman and educate me about products and vendors and, and help me gain relationships and, and meeting the guys from Super Trap and getting behind and getting a pipe on my bikes for the first time so I could actually ride it and sell from experience. So he cultivated that in me, and I thought I knew distribution. And, man, when I hopped into it, which was in Custom Chrome, um, I moved out to California from Boston in 2010. And that was That's like, a tough... hey, we're going to do sales for Custom Chrome. I'm like, dude, I know the catalog inside and out. I know these parts inside and out. I, I can help the dealers, you know, make better business choices. And when I saw the, the infrastructure of distribution and what it really is, I was just blown away. I was like, dude, there's so many dealers out there that don't have a clue of what's really going on, of well, how the distribution changes the world in our industry on the daily. It's crazy. That was, a, that's a, t I have to tell you, I was a dealer uh, in, you know, I've been a dealer since 2003. That is a mm -hmm. tough company to cut your teeth at and a tough time to cut your teeth at that company. <laughs> uh, I commend you for moving all the way to Morgan Hill, California from Boston and taking that on. And so, Talk about that without, I mean, obviously everybody has their own opinion of, of that. And you touched on something very, very pivotal that I, I wanted to get from you today out of this interview. And you said that you had a very good drag rep. You had somebody who, who saw something in you and was able to parlay some knowledge to you and, and convey kind of what the, the distribution network should be doing. What is a good road rep to you? What, tell me, give me kind of what are the bullet points you're looking for from both sides, from as a distributor and then from, from a counter person and talk about how you were able to, are have you been able to develop like the ideal, like weird science, you know, you get like uh, Gary and Wyatt putting the, we just watched that movie a couple <laughs> weeks ago, put the bras on their heads and, and, and made Kelly yeah. LeBrock. What is your, what is the Kelly LeBrock of, of sales uh, of road reps? That is a, I think everybody's trying to figure out what that perfect thing is, what that perfect com combination is. And it really depends on the type of dealer. And if you're a money-driven dealer, if you're a loyalty-driven dealer, if you're a, a hot new trend, you're always bouncing from left to right, or if you are completely set in your ways, like I'm going to build this one type of motorcycle, this one type of motor, I'm going to do it turnkey, I'm going to get positive results all the time, and I don't want to change, I don't want to try new products. So if anything, if um, I, I do feel that outside reps in this industry have to be knowledgeable like and you don't have to know exactly how the thing is made and how it's engineered and but you have to understand and have to know how to apply it so therefore you can actually regurgitate it to any type of dealer that you have in your territory be able to break bread with that dealer and and connect to them on that level for them to buy into that product and it's not just buying it to turn it to make some money it's buying into that vendor and understanding the support you're going to get from that vendor and what that vendor is trying to do in this industry and they're trying to put their kid through college and you're trying to put your kid through college and and so you have to really understand how that product or that how that vendor claims their space in this industry and be able to drive that into whatever type of dealer that you walk into 
And then it's the follow through. I don't know how many times I hear so many times where, hey, my, my rep was here and I haven't seen him for three weeks or I, I called in, I called him and I haven't heard back from or her, right? I haven't heard back from them. Um, we're in this era right now where everything has to be instant. And yeah, I feel like a lot of people like to say like, oh, I'm a man or a woman of my word. Like I, you know, I'm always there. I always get stuff done. And I think that's actually said with loose lips too often. People forgot the value and the integrity of, hey, you know, if you call me, you know, hey, I'll, I'll text you. Hey, I'm, a, I'm at a meeting. I'll give you a call back tonight or tomorrow. Or, hey, I haven't figured out, I haven't found a solution for your problem yet, but I'm still working on it. I just want to let you know that I'm still doing it. It's people that do that on the daily, I see are extremely successful in whatever type of shop environment that they have to walk into. Yeah, I think so, that's lost on a lot of people. Um, would you say that that dealer reps need to be a bit of a chameleon? And And if so, how do you do that in a... A meaningful manner so that you can, like you said, break bread, understand their business. Because I have a different viewpoint of what I think the ideal road rep should be because I've had so many over the last 20 years, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I feel um, I was a pretty successful sales rep um, across the board, especially doing it over the phone because I personally love to travel. I love to drive my Jeep, my motorcycle, whatever. So I never wanted to be on the road as a job cause that would take away my pleasure and doing it over the phone. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions when a girl picks up the phone and says, hi, I'm your new rep. You know, they immediately think one way, Sure. they hear a voice, you know, their, their brain goes into a different direction. So I was constantly, every time I picked up the phone or I had to introduce myself to a new dealer or that dealer's parts manager changed hands or, so it was that constantly having to reintroduce myself and, and gain that person's trust and understanding. Um, but isn't that the, what led like, to the ability for you to run a whole brand? I'm sorry? Isn't that the skill set that you developed that allows you to run an entire division of, I mean, oh, you know, yeah, all no, of those no, things absolutely. played very well into, you know, putting you into a space to where you make a lot of important decisions for what kind of products go in a catalog, what kind of <laughs> products, <laughs> yeah, what kind of products end up in yeah. a shelf and, and what kind of product, I mean, there's a lot of, you said it earlier, you're like, you know, they're trying to put their kid through college. You're trying to put your kid through college. And I try to explain to people all the time, like if we stop doing, like there's an old man that comes in here every two weeks and he brings us our shop towels, right? It's 25 yep. bucks every two weeks. He gives us a giant stack of them. He takes the dirty ones. This guy, this is a self-employed guy. He's got a van. He's got, he bought a bunch of shop towels and he just drives around all over the Tampa Bay area. Everybody knows him. And I told Amanda one time, my daughter, I'm like, Hey, maybe we should look and see what Cintas. So she's like, absolutely not. This guy counts on us, you know, and, and I wasn't being, you know, insensitive. I was looking at, Hey, you know, I was counting beans, you know, Hey, we have this much money over here. We need it. And she's like, no, because he counts on our 25 bucks and his route has us on it. So he hits everybody in Lakeland. So, you know, it, it, it rolls downhill and upward. Yes. No, absolutely. So when you're, so going back to the ideal road rep, so the ideal road rep oh. is somebody that is venerable. They're able to acclimate themselves to, to new situations. Um, what happens when you have somebody who maybe has an area of expertise that's a road rep Do his, do his clients emulate that or is how do you does that come into play at all or are you just like look this is your territory you need to utilize the tools that you have at your disposal and then let's you know let's raise your skill level to meet your you know your sales goals yes 
yeah and that's really where the partnership comes in like um and and kind of like floating back to where i was going was if you can if you can understand that the sales in this industry like if like you said somebody could walk into any type of dealer how do you break bread how do you get over that hump um nobody in our industry even though our industry revolves around it nobody in this industry really likes salespeople. We don't really, we don't, we're selling, we're salespeople ourselves, right? All right. the time, but we hate being sold to. And so if you just understand the, the plant, the seed and just talk about Pike, talk about bikes, talk about products, talk about stuff that you don't even have in your catalog because people are going to see that as you're gaining a partnership and you're understanding that, Hey, you know what? I can't get that for you today, but I, you know, what? if you go over here and go grab that product, here's the part number that's going to be perfect for that job. They're going to remember that for next time. And that's how you're going to earn your spot into them looking into your hard drive catalog more often, or, you know, paying attention to you when you walk in the door, they're going to drop what they're doing and they're going to spend time with you. And so that's in my eyes, that's a great way for people to kind of just adapt themselves or chameleon themselves across the board. So they're selling themselves, not just the product because yeah, okay. there's certain products, there are certain products that are, that are absolutely, um, that are unique to your distribution channels. Obviously all of your hard drive stuff yes. is the Shinko tires are the, um, yep. you guys have flow Motorsports. Uh, I believe that you're exclusive with them. So there's lots of little, little, yep enclaves of in the catalog. So you got to get the customer in, in your customer, obviously is the person, the shop owner, the shopkeep, the counter person, all those things. And you've got to kind of be a part of their shop team when you're in their shop. And then you have to do that at all of at all of your distributors or all of your, your yeah, retailers. All the dealers. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And usually there's, you know, uh, there was some Harley dealers that I would take care of here locally um, when I was on the sales force. And I would spend three hours there because you're there with the motor clothes division, you're there with the parts department, you're talking to the sales team, you're talking to the service team. They all hit different aspects of your catalog. So right. they all need to be in the know. And that's kind of where, like you were talking was, you know, how do people, how do you take a rep that has an expert expertise in a certain division and then apply that to a whole catalog or to a whole range of dealers? It's getting them in touch right with the vendor. And that's like that's a big advocate thing that I'm trying to push for is really to close that communication loop between the vendor and the sales rep. So you get it right from the horse's mouth. And when there's a problem, you're not relying on a hard drive. Who's essentially a third you know, party we buy and we sell. Yeah. Right. But if you can call it the vendor and go, Hey, you know, such and such, I was at this dealer and they ran into this, or they, they really want to get behind this program. Is there something that we could do for like a, a, a POP display or some signage? And they're all about it. And they want to talk to you. They want to talk to your customers. They want to talk to your dealers. They want to talk to the mechanic. They might friends send free parts, you know, to get your hands on them and get you playing with them. And, and that's really where people, where reps are going to be super successful because that's where they can learn. They can really, really learn. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, I'm, I'm a 30, 30 year plus, uh, parts guy. I mean, I started my career in 1990 working a parts counter, the old school before the computer <laughs> where you had, you know, the books without pictures in them where you had to understand nomenclature and things like that. And one yeah. of the things that horrified me was the proliferation of the internet and the impending loss of sales at my sales counter, once I had, you know, cause the internet was just really getting going when I started in the motorcycle business. And now it's not even, it, it's, we're not even competing on a level playing field because I just flat out refuse as a shop owner. I flat out refuse to buy something from hard drive or from drag 
or anyone that I can't sell for what the MSRP is because I don't set that. And I try to explain that to my customers. And I have customers that come in here and they'll take up an hour and a half of my time and then they'll go buy the part for $100 less at the, at the, on the internet and then expect me to put that part on. And I try to, I'm trying to condition people in a nice way because I'm, I'm not very nice at the front counter when this happens. It's like, look, you came in here, you talked, I get an hour, I get a hundred dollars an hour for labor. I could be working in the shop. I'm up here talking with you. You go home to save 65 bucks at home and then bring the part back here. How do you deal with that? What do you, God, this is such a <laughs> nuanced, a whole other podcast I know it's such a nuanced <laughs> but, thing, but what is your, what is your yeah. base response? So, um, there is a, a big shift that our industry is going to be seeing and it's already starting to be seen. Um, and I'm seeing it on, uh, as far as the distribution side, like behind the curtain type scenario, we have a lot of automotive people now that this whole pandemic thing is over er, and, and, and sure. we're kind of feeling the recoil of everything and we're feeling this inflation of everything and it's still crazy times but we've seen a huge amount of automotive people transfer into the power sports division because of these companies that that dwindle in both for example like knn or dynajet right mm -hmm. really great companies they have solid products for sure their mindsets about how they are marketing their products or setting their MSRPs or their price increases, they're setting them a lot different and it's following more of an automotive type mentality, which is not going to work for our power sports industry. We all need to make some money. We want those MSRPs to be, we're at a reasonable spot. So we are actually working and I feel that like drag is working with their partners as well. So we work with our, our vendors and our exclusive partners and we've really pushed them to just, you don't need that 10% off MSRP anymore, that map policy. You don't need that map policy that gives people 10 different opportunities to, to violate and then they get turned back on. So we're starting to see a lot of these vendors be like, yeah, why am I giving stuff 10% off when people are just going to list it right at the map price, right out of the gate, and not even try to make the extra money? So they're actually redoing their map policies and pushing it to a full MSRP. And some of them are actually getting brave and be like, you know what? I value my product. I have my blood, sweat, and tears in developing this. I paid thousands of dollars for patent and packaging and, and tooling and all this stuff. I'm not going to, I'm going to do a zero tolerance. So it's like one and done. If a dealer is violated. And I haven't it. had any trouble you selling it either. Again. I haven't had any trouble selling it. I mean, most of the stuff that comes in here goes yeah. right back out. Right. And so I'm glad to hear that you're saying that because coming from the automotive side, from the, the side of the automotive industry that I was in, um, it's horrifying. And, and let me quantify that for you. I started out as 17 year old working in Detroit at Ram chargers. And if you're not familiar with Ram chargers, big, <laughs> yes, I am. okay. So I worked for the original Ram chargers, Dick Skoglin, who invented the tunnel Ram and was and built the high and mighty, uh, you know, Ooh. Sam Messina that developed the dual mag technology. And, you know, here I am 17 in a conference room and there are a hundred Wallies on the wall and all these awards for all these different, you know, innovative things. And then, I worked there and then I worked for Super Shops, which had 165 stores nationwide and went out of business and almost took Edelbrock with them because mm. they created a mail order company that directly competed with their retail stores. And this company owned Mallory Electronics. They owned Urson. Mm -hmm. They bought more BF Goodrich tires than anybody on the planet except for General Motors. 
they had two corporate jets. I mean, the whole deal, right? And they went out of business because they became their own biggest competitor. And I'm like, wait a minute, your laptop can do a lot of things. It's not going to mount your tire. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then, you know, in, in Summit, mm-hmm. in JEGS, have marginalized everything. They can be 100% held accountable for MSD and in Summit were the ones that created the downfall of the aftermarket automotive industry and this, what I call the race to the bottom. How do we stop the oh, yeah. race to the bottom at our level, at the distribute, at the distribution level and at the retail level, how do we stop the race to the bottom? I think we're all pretty like, I, I think what dealers and customers don't see is that we are all very much in tune with each other. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing that's really hidden. Uh, when it comes to, you know, competing distributors. So we want to be a healthy competitor in the market. We don't want to be the, you know, whether it's WPS or hard drive, just as us as a company, we want to be healthy competitors. We want the dealers to feel confident. We want to be able to cultivate them and propel them forward and give them the tools. So with that, there's a lot of extra time, labor, and viewing of stuff of like, okay, where's where are we priced at in the market? Okay, well, let's. It, it can be a lateral. It, it, we don't have to be lower. We don't have to be higher, but we can be lateral. So regardless of where the dealers go to, is a, a healthy competitor is going to maintain the rules. And I feel like WPS as a whole maintains the rules in the marketplace. And I feel that Drag maintains the rules as well. Yeah, so I, I would agree with that statement. Guys, whether you buy it from over here or over here, the, the, you know, we might be looking at regulators, and my regulators might be more or less than theirs, but even though they come in our private label packaging, but nobody knows exactly where we actually source our regulators and, and one might be better than the other. One might have, you know, better epoxy or better, you know, products in it. So, but there's, there's options. And when you're looking at, Hey, these APangers or whatever, it's this company, it's the same price from over here. It's the same price over here. It's MSRP. It's protected at map. And all we can do is just hope that people are still policing, you know, cause map policy is, is still that kind of, it's a guideline, but it's also a fictitious line yeah. in reality. It, and it, people can do really whatever they want. But if, you know, Wild One is not enforcing their map and they're not looking for people online to report to us and go, hey, go shut this dealer off. They, you know, they're in violation. It, there's a lot of that outdoor communication that we still need to get to make that seamless. If that makes sense. No, I would agree with that. And I would also I would also add to that that, you know, One of the things that I look at, you know, I look at, I think everything, uh, I think everything is data driven if, if you look for the data and I think that numbers don't lie. And so I look at pricing, pricing is, is at par across the brands, uh, Mm -hmm. because it's set by the MSRP. But one of the things that I would, if I was talking to somebody who had a, had a new shop, I would tell them, look, look at the warehouse that's closest to you. You know, because I have three rules for, for sales. I teach my, my, everybody know your inventory is rule number one, right? Rule number one is know your inventory. What is your inventory? Well, my inventory is all of the hard drive warehouses, all of the Tucker Rocky uh, warehouses and all of the drag warehouses. That's my inventory. So there's levels, right? I have it in stock. I have it next day. I have it two or three day, right? Rule number two is obviously, I don't know how you feel about this, but I tell my staff, it's not your money. It's never your money. It's the customer's money. Then it's the company's money. So don't, don't, don't get attached to it. You know, don't, (laughs) don't get fearful that you're not going to make the sale. And also don't oversell it. 
and, and, and don't undersell it either. Like it, it is, it, you know, you stand behind the, we stand behind all of our pricing. We stand behind it. I don't set the pricing. And that's what I tell my customers. Look, I don't set the MSRP that is set by the manufacturer. That's what MSRP stands for. And the other thing that I say that the rule number three is we adhere to a 300% rule here. A hundred percent of our customers are offered a hundred percent of our goods and services a hundred percent of the time. And if you stick to rule number three, Rule number two is is a non it's it's not a problem because a lot of people I'll tell you a quick story. We opened up our store in December of 03, my dad and I, and I had a customer come in and he got a price on a set of performance machine wheels, brakes with rotors, pulleys, and uh what was the oh Metzler tires, right? And it yep. was it was like five or six thousand dollars even back then, and my dad goes when the guy left and bought them, he goes, what did he just buy? <laughs> my dad was like cheap as can be, you know I mean? The oil, my dad thought we were going to open a shop and just do oil and spark plugs and all the stuff, my points and the stuff my dad bought. Guy comes in, drops five or six grand on wheels. He goes, what in the hell did that guy just buy? A whole motorcycle? I was like, no, he bought wheels and tires. <laughs> he goes, Jesus Christ. He, go, he went, sat down, Chris, at the desk in the corner and he goes, I can't do this. And I was like, well, you can't do what? He goes, I, I, I would never spend that kind of money on that. And I said, well, that's good. The lesson here it's is not yours. it's not your money. It's never your money. And he's like, okay. Yep. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yep. Now there's, um, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of the dealers, uh, and I was one of them myself, like, like kind of getting back to my reps. I had, um, I don't know if you remember tech distributing up in New England. No. Um, no, so Tech Distributing, it was uh, Jeff and Jamie who ran that, and they were phenomenal people, phenomenal. And they educated people. They, they were like, it was one of those catalogs, like you said, like it never had pictures in it. It was like, it looked like it had done up on a typewriter. Right. Thing. Super old school. And they were just a small distributor that did hard parts. So like the gaskets, the seals, the, the pinion shaft bushings, like just cool little stuff. And those types of people, um, oh, Oh, no, I lost my train of thought. No, nope. you said the tech cycle. You said those type of people, their catalog was older. It looked like it was hand typed. And we were talking about, you said getting back to your road reps. So you had tech, you had the tech oh, distributing yes. up there. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Thank you. So um, having those types of people that can actually educate you and walk you into the line of, of how distribution works, of how pricing works. But even like those relationships and those people that, that helped bring me along and educate me and, and saw the value in me and made me a stronger person behind the counter where I was more educated. I was more confident in the information. Like I was a mechanic. I was certified by MMI. I went through the whole gamut plus extra courses. I did all of this stuff by myself when it was like, you know, Hey, pair up with a partner and do this, you know, engine and tear it all down, mic it, put it all back together and run it. I did all that stuff by myself because I didn't want anybody to take the reins. So I knew the mechanic aspect of it, but trying to talk to people, especially older girl, you know, grown men that knew a lot. I never tried to play that game. Like I was smarter than them and I was trying to educate them too, but those reps educated me and they saw the value in me. So they made me a stronger person. And even if I had to pay $30 more for a part from that, from that distributor versus the other distributor, my money went to that person. Yeah. Because you, so you saw some other value. Yeah, it's the relationship, it's the value, it's the loyalty, it's what you're getting. So it's, you know, you see dealers that are just constantly chasing the dollars and go, oh, well, you're you're 30 cents cheaper. Well, this person over here has it, you know, for this much money. Will you give it to me that for that much? Will you match their price? And I'm like, 
we are known, WPS as a company worldwide is known for our customer service. We take care of the dealers. That is our first and foremost type thing because without them, we are nothing. And so we want to invest in them. We want to make sure that they're taken care of and that there's, you know, never problems that we can't take care of. And people will pay more to have that level of service, to have that comfort, to have that, you know, what they're getting in return, that value. Well, I would agree with that. And, you know, I'm also somebody that I like premium stuff, like, you know, away from here, obviously, you know, when you're here, I get stuck on brands, right? And so, you know, I pick a brand and, and then I, I kind of do the math on it and we, we hyper-focus on a few things because those are the things that we're going to do well if we hyper-focus on them, right? If we hyper-focus on a couple of little metrics in the business, we're going to do well at those things and then we'll do pretty good at, at the other stuff too. And what would you say, being more specific other than, you know, we, we're customer service oriented and I don't want this to come off as a WPS commercial because it's not, you and I are having a conversation about the business because there's some important things happening in the business right now. But what are, what are the specific things that a distributor can do a better job on than what they've done in the past with the way things are changing? Because I think there's some attrition in, in the industry in some spaces, but I see, I see people like, you know, Chris and Becca Rang over at Rang Cycle in Gillette, Wyoming. Um, mm -hmm. They're doing a great job. I mean, they've got their social media up to date. I, I've been following them for a while. They've got their pro they've increased their product uh, capacity, you know, they're busting at the seams in their showroom. Now you can see that in their Instagram posts and that. So I laud these people, you know, these are a really nice couple that have kids yeah, and they're they doing are. the whole deal. Right. So yeah. I want to see them be successful. I want them to know, I want them to feel the good part that I've felt through this industry. Cause you know, you and I have both been some, been through some bad stuff in this industry too. And you know, it's good and <laughs> yeah. bad and the bad makes you appreciate the good. And you know, it, it, there's learning things. So what can distributors do to help mom and pop shops still exist? Oh, without price, leave price out of it. Yeah, no, it's, it's the, I think what it, hmm. God, that's such a, a that's such a, a multitude of of small answers to equal one. Sure. I think, I think, having availability of what we can have because we have we have so many struggles, and when like dealers run into a problem, we're the first people that they call, and if we don't without we without touching price, but if we don't charge what we charge to make sure that we can maintain our doors open and we can, you know, we have seven warehouses across the country specifically to give every dealer a minimum of one to two day shipping. So having those warehouses be turnkey and, and staffed and having those processes going and keeping our contracts with FedEx and, and WM, you know, UPS going and, and up to date so we can, what that all means is when you have a problem and you got that bike all apart and you go to put a part on, whether it's something that I own, I make um, with my name on it or I'm, or I'm distributing it for another vendor, when you have a problem and the bike's all apart and you're halfway through the job and your bike's supposed to go out, you know, that night or tomorrow morning and you're up, you know, you're up against the fence, we're going to take care of you. And there's a lot of times that we bend over very backwards for a lot of people, whether that's involving call tags, you're a credit card customer, we'll send you out this replacement part on open and we'll get that other one back. And there's, there's so many things that we try to just 
skirt in that gray area of what, you know, how can we take care of the dealer that day for that specific instance where it's not really going to, you know, we can really take care of the situation without causing, you know, huge problems or, you know, we're not overnighting, you know, huge things and, and cost of freights and all this crazy stuff. But I think it's really being able to take care of you right then and there that is going to what keeps these smaller shops going because some of the the big box stores they they don't you know we're not amazon like if you install that and you don't like it and you put it back in the box i can't sell it that's not taking care of somebody that's you know you have to take responsibility as a consumer that you made that choice i want to take care of the dealer i want to spend that extra money that i can you know for those freights or call tags or whatever I want to take care. I want to use that extra petty cash for the dealers, not for these consumer things. Let me ask you a question, and, and this may not be something that you're prepared to answer, and, and but I, I really want to know what your personal opinion of it is. Does it make sense to continue to drop ship now that COVID is cycling out? I mean, when when COVID happened, you know, Drag and Tucker and yourselves, you guys all stepped up and helped us. Right. As dealers, you said, okay, look, mm-hmm. we're going to drop ship to your, to your customers. We're not going to drop ship to other businesses. We're not going to do that, but to a customer home, we will drop ship. We're not going to put an invoice in there. There'll be a packing list, whatever you do your thing. Do you think that that is something that is going to maintain in, in the foreseeable future? And do you think that that helps dealers or do you think that hurts dealers? And because there's two lines of thinking on that. And I, I'd like to hear yeah. what your opinion is. Um, Personally, if I were to take myself out of distribution, personally, I feel that the shops really need to have that ability to to get the part in their hand, to feel it, to touch it, to see how the packaging works, to understand it, to be able to sell it. So we've lost that. There's like that disconnect on drop ships that, you know, these aren't really dealers like J&P Cycles. Those people are fantastic. Like they built a legacy and they built it with, you know, uh, offering a mail order catalog and, and and now their website. But we're starting to see like everything else in this world. We're seeing the split. Well, and yeah, the because split is now, you know, J&P, Cycle Gear, Razilla, Komodo Group, you know, it's they're all in that kind of high-end retail drop ship you know there's stores that they're starting to develop they have stores you know, they have and, brick and mortar stores now yeah like revzilla brick and mortar store now and they still got the cycle gears out there um and then you have like the the rocky mountain atvs or you have some of these larger entities that still have a facility like you still have to have a retail shop and all that um the drop shipping it's really what pulls the volume through and I, I feel that like we opened it up to everybody, which was great because it gives people a chance to offer business to people that didn't feel safe leaving their house for whatever. Right. Um, I don't know if it's going to continue. You know, when you look at a whole average of sales, you know, it's I don't think it's as big as everybody thinks it is. Like we still do large orders to these large online retailers. We have vendor, we have uh, certain brands in place that you're not even allowed to drop ship that brand if you don't do X amount of dollar buy-in on that brand and have stock at your store. So there's these things that we're leveraging with these dealers to get to get them to have skin in the game. Right. And and we're seeing that more and more on a larger scale. 
Yeah, because, well, so it's, there you go. You hit on something. It's data-driven. You know, is yeah. the sales, are the sales numbers there, number one? And number two, so I feel like if somebody goes online and they live in Lakeland, Florida, I feel like if somebody goes online and they want to buy, uh, let's just say a set of Flow Motorsports pegs, and, and they're going to order them and they're going to get shipped to their house. But they live in Lakeland and they buy it from... A sh they happen, you know, there's a shop in Ishpeming, Michigan that doesn't have them either, but they have them on their website. But because mm -hmm. they have them listed on Google and they search Flow Motorsports pegs, the shop in Michigan is going to get the Your commission business. on that and they're yep. going to sell it in my territory. And so me, I put a lot of work in. We have bike nights here. We go to swap meets. We have an indoor motorcycle event once a year. You know, I have a 2,000 square foot showroom. I, I'm I'm accessible. You know, all of my staff make sure that they're accessible to. So we're we're trying to be active members of the community, and I feel like it marginalizes our space when you know. Okay, so I'm gonna get rid of my 2,000 square foot showroom, and uh, I'm not gonna ha stock anything other than tires, brakes, batteries, and oils, and uh, everything else is gonna be drop shipped right to the customer's house, and I'm just gonna have a giant website. You know, because there's companies out there now that are doing that. They have a giant website. They drop ship everything. They've got a guy that is constantly, or a girl or whatever, an individual that is constantly managing that space of their business, but they never touch anything. And it's just, to me, it's disingenuous. It waters okay. down the industry, and it's part of what I consider the race to the bottom. I hear you, and it's all valid points. And so... Um, and, there's a lot, and there's a lot of people that are in like that for that example that person that bought from the website from somebody else in the majority they're not they're not parts of your community yeah they're which not means engaged in your community because if they were they'd already be they here be, they'd be hearing yeah they would already be your customer and so that's so the power counterpoint to that is it is are the yeah. are we doing a good enough job not not cycle stop usa but everybody in our industry that has a brick and mortar shop. Are we doing a good enough job? And I, I, I don't mean for you to be like, go on the, go on the offense. I'm saying, what can we do a better job at? When you look at your sales and you look at the distributors and you talk to your road reps, you go, man, man, I wish, finish this sentence for me. I wish shop owners understood fill in the blank. Oh Lord, that's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. This is like, I'm turning this into like 60 minutes here. I'm like, you know, <laughs> 60 minutes with Chris Brown. <laughs> yeah, that is. Um, let me explain to you. Let me quantify while you're think thinking people, about that. You know, no, I do have an answer. Okay. I think, I think shops need to get back to their roots of what they started the business for to begin with and get back into their niche. I think a lot of people spread themselves way too thin. They try to get their hands into everything. When I look at a shops across the country and I see a shop that specifically dominates in whether it be stereo equipment and paint jobs and lights or where this person does performance monitors and transmission and you know and, and chain conversions or whether this shop does you know just super clean, you know, fluffy stuff or this shop over here is doing SRT kits from Yaffe. Those shops are successful. Those shops have their niche. There's no competition. They, they created an environment within their community where they don't have any competition. And where you get these shops that are just like, oh, yeah, I've never seen that bike before. Yeah, no problem. I'll do that job for $1,200. 
that scares me because that means that person is not going to look at my bike first before they start working on it and go, oh, yeah, I know you said you wanted some ape hangers, but um, your rear belt's missing like four teeth and you have a ball to retire. Like we should probably do that first. And shops time after time, I, there's, I think they're losing that insight of protecting the rider and protecting the bike. And, and, and they're so concerned with the person's going to be like, well, that's not what I wanted. That's not how much money I have. I can't do that. And they lost their that value. I think I, shops need to get back into that whole aspect of I can I, I need to charge you for this. I don't care whether or not you say yes or no, but the bike has no rear brakes. I'm putting brake pads on it because that's my name on it. I, I care about you and I want to make sure that your bike's safe. <laughs> that's a great answer. And, and I want to quantify that. The reason why I was asking you is because you have literally held every position in our industry. It, you know what I mean? So I wanted to know, and, and I think that what I took away from your answer was that it's okay to stay in your lane. And that's probably the best place for you is determine what your lane is. And if you want to change lanes, then there's a process, right? You need to be, yeah. you need to be the best you can be at whatever it is. Do you decide you want to do, right? Is that exactly. what I, I feel like that's what I'm taking away from what you just said that, you know, yes, you summed it up very well. Cause I tend to go around in circles. <laughs> no, no, it was a perfect, it was a very articulate answer. I, I really appreciate the fact that you, that you took it there because I think people do try to be all things to all people. And, you know, as somebody who got into this business thinking that I had been a, a parts guy for long enough that I knew the parts game, it was very, mm. the one thing I learned in this business compared to the, the car business in Detroit was I underestimated or overestimated the client in that motorcycle people by and large don't wrench on their own vehicles like car people do. There's a lot of people who do it, but they do it very differently. And so I had to get used to that. We opened up our first shop, Chris, we had no service department. And I was like, oh, we Lord. had all the product on the, I mean, we filled out, you know, we've, we've, ordered all the stuff we could order $8,000 or $8,500 from drag is what, what the buy-in was back then. There weren't even prices in the catalog. And I wanted to ask you about that too, but, um, and then we're sitting there, my dad and I, and they're, we're like, why is none of this stuff selling? Cause we were car guys, you know, too. And we worked on our cars and everybody in Detroit works on their own car. And so I started selling stuff when I started going, Hey, I'll install those for free. If you buy those grips, you just got to come to my house. Well, I had enough people come to my house in a short enough period. I'm like, okay, I don't want, these are weird people coming to my house. I got two little girls, so we need a shop. So, um, how do you feel about back when you and I were, were just getting going, there were no prices in the catalog. And then everybody lobbied and around Oh five, Oh six, they started putting prices in the catalog. Do you think, that there's any benefit to that at all? I don't know. It's such a, it's a 50, 50. It's like, depending on how you present the situation, we've all talked about it. Um, you know, when we do catalog production, uh, I start catalog production in July and my cutoff is usually like the beginning of October. And then that usually gives me about a full month, um, you know, to get into the pages and, and make changes and updates and, and get images and layouts and the whole nine yards. And we do, we pull like a last price file, like right before it goes to the printer and then, you know, it's off to the printer and it's printing over Christmas. So the dealers, you know, the goal is to get it in the dealer's hand, you know, the beginning of January, which we were able to achieve in 2022, which was phenomenal. Yes. Um, but with that, 
a lot of people don't know when to do their price increases. And back in the day, like, you know, five, six to eight years ago, um, vendors would supply the distributors with their price file in around, around Thanksgiving. It went into the new catalog. And for the majority of vendors out there, everybody waited to do their price updates, whether it was like they waited until midsummer when the new, you know, a new uh, cycle price update would come yeah. out or something. But usually it was in, once a year. Right now, like over the last probably two years, even to this day, like this morning before this interview, I was on my laptop and I'm doing price updates. And vendors are like, hey, here's a price update. Here, here's a price update file. Here, here's a price update file. We're doing them every day. I know it's volatile. And so, it's horrible. And so, and it's like stuff's effective immediately and stuff is retroed. You know, it's like to an order that I placed six months ago, the price is affected to that. So how does that affect the dealer when they have that part on the back order and they've already taken the customer's money and all of a sudden I'm like, hey, Mr. Dealer, I'm sorry, but I had to pay double for that part, which means that you're going to have to pay more, which means that your customer is going to have to pay more. And thank God we don't automatically ship back orders when they come in. Like we still say, hey, Mr. Dealer, you have to apply, you know, approve this and we can cancel it if you need to. But so there's there's that that good opportunity there. But by the time I print my book, the prices are already null and void. Yeah. But and you have the old other, old other half that's like rallying. We need the prices in the catalog. The, de the You know, the dealers and the consumers need to have some sort of point that they can go after, even though we keep telling the dealers, hey, go online, go to the dealer portal, go check if it's in stock, go check what the price is, you know, do that first. Yeah, I'm conditioning but my staff here that don't yeah. don't go off the cat do not go off the catalog at all because <laughs> no. you know, you know, my, my daughter, I, I have Amanda, you know, she's getting a finance degree and I'm like, listen, I data everything's data, data, data. And I need to know are we you know, where are we at? So I make her cost out every invoice right now learning because I want her to understand profit and loss and how it impacts. Mm -hmm. Right. And she's like, well, we're, she's coming at me every day with these invoices. She's like, we sold all this stuff, all these gaskets for, for less than what we paid for them. I'm like, yeah, because we've got, you know, th this is, we're trying to hit a moving target and this is not a set it and forget it kind of thing. Like it was 20 years ago, Gaskets were gaskets. They didn't change. There wasn't a foamette and a paper and a cork and a foamette with a bead and a and a paper with a bead. And, you you know could what charge I mean? whatever you wanted for gaskets. You had to buy it in a ten pack. Yeah, <laughs> you could charge whatever you wanted. Yeah, people didn't know what it cost. So I, I just think that going back to not having pricing is going to solve more problems than than. And I think when it came out, I, I was an advocate for it. I'm like, damn it, I hate looking up something every time. But the the websites weren't as dynamic, and you know your dealer website and Tucker's dealer website is a, is a it leads something to be desired right now. But Drags is pretty decent and. I think that, you know, I'm still a print catalog guy, though. I, I have to have a hat in hand. So I, I use them both. I get information out of them. And, you know, it's one of those things where it, it's I, I'm, I'm all for I'm advocating for no more pricing because it forces my staff to look up the current price and, and we're not misquoting people, you know. Yeah, so. we still have people asking us for price books, <laughs> like the dealer price. But I was like, dude, we haven't. No, but I don't think anyone did those in like ten years. Like the rarest but, thing you know, in like, the in the industry is an S and S catalog. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and I remember like um, at custom when I was at Custom Chrome, you know, when we printed all the books, uh, we printed a copy. We printed three different languages, and that was in two thousand and ten. Um, we and we printed in three different languages, and we had an international catalog that had no pricing in it. And I'd have so many domestic dealers being like, "Hey, can I get one of those international catalogs?" 
it's like, I just want to put it on my counter and then I can go check the price or I can call my rep and get the price and, and the availability and stuff. And so I don't know which way that's going to go. There's also the conversation of, do we need catalogs anymore? I am a book person. I like, have to I have remember, a catalog. I memorize my catalog yep. because I flip through it every day. Yeah. And, and if I didn't have that and I'm doing it online, I'm like, you know how many times, like getting back to the whole planting the seed when I was a sales rep, if I could get my customer to just grab the catalog and be like, hey, flip open the page like 104. I want to show you this. I want to show you something real quick. While I'm giving him my little sales pitch and, and educating him on this product, I'm hearing him flip the pages. And he's seeing other and stuff. And he's like, yep. And that's, and that's the whole point of the catalog is to get lost in it, to dog ear something, to refer back to it later, to circle something, to, you know, a cool image or a cool maybe information chart. And, and that's why – I want to keep books alive. I want to keep catalogs alive and I want to make the catalog. Like I still have a couple of V twin catalogs in my own personal toolbox because they are incredible when it comes to schematics or OEM yeah. numbers or application fitments or having pictures of every single regulator and stator plug so I can identify, you know, female thin pins to female fat pins, right? Or it's so it's, I want my hard drive catalog to start going in that direction <laughs> where it becomes a tool and ends up, oh, I need a copy for the top of the toolbox and I need a couple copies for the counter and I need a copy for over here. That's what I want to, to try and create so I can educate the next generation and educate your daughter when she has a question like, well, how do I look at this part in three different distributor catalogs and they all have different descriptions with different ear fitments? And that's unfortunate because we have a lot of vendors that supply us wrong information. information. And so we actually have to do our job and, you know, and research that every single time and, and check all these fitments. But she can open up the book and go, oh, I didn't even know that. Like, that's how you measure. That's the correct way to measure handlebars. That's the correct way to measure a throttle cable. You know, what does it mean the throw on a clutch cable between a five or a six speed or transmission? Like, there's all these different variables. But she's going to go to that book every time because she knows that the information is, is there correct. to help her. Yeah, and I yeah. call that doing the maze backwards. And, you yeah. know, it was always easier to do the maze backwards for me. You pick out your goal and you go backwards. And, and so I, I'm teaching – I'm teaching Amanda and Julie because our, our manager, our parts manager is Julie, and I'm teaching her how to, you know, use the root part number for anything that you search. You know, a 33344-94 is the spacer for 94 and up. 85 mm -hmm. is 80, 85 to 93. So don't type just type the root part number into the OEM search and you're gonna get lots of options. You're gonna find out that they make one for uh, they make one for the uh, from Eastern Motorcycle Parts. Uh, Baker sells one. Jim's sells mm -hmm. one. You know, you're going to find all these different options, and customers love options. And rule number yep. one is knowing your inventory. So there's like there's not this one size fits all. And and so I want to be the first to sign the petition to keep catalogs alive <laughs> and take pricing out of that. I'm going to start that petition with all of my friends that are in the business. Um, and when I got it. And when I got in the business, I would go to older shops like Stevenson Cycle. In, uh, oh, in, man, I love Steve. Uh, Steve's, uh, Steve's my mentor. <laughs> he was, and, and, right. and has been since Jump. And Gary Melgan, who was Steve's mentor. You go into these old shops and they had all the catalogs. They had parts books from Harley. And they had mm -hmm. service manuals. So I couldn't afford both. So I would buy all of the parts. I would buy every Harley parts manual I could get my hands on because it showed me what I call the stack and that's how the parts go together. Right. Yep. 
exactly. You tighten the trap door on the transmission in the same order on an FXR as you do on an FLT and on a soft tail because that part is the same. But what I needed to know was how they went together in that particular model. So that was mm-hmm. that was my reference point. And so I, I love that you say that because um, my wife calls me a hoarder. But I say I'm saving them for reference materials, but I have all the hot rods I've ever bought, all the popular hot ridings, all the car crafts, going all the way back to high school. I have all the horse magazines, the cycle sources, because the tech yeah. articles in them are phenomenal. They're just phenomenal. Yeah, they are. Because you're going to learn the yep. easy way to do it. It's like when you compare a climber manual to a Harley <laughs> manual. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. The Harley manual is like, use oh, this yeah. Harley tool. The climber's like, look, I bought this from Jim's. You can see it says Jim's on it. <laughs> you know, go to your dealer, yeah. figure it out. <laughs> so I think somebody who, um, I think somebody, if they were going to create like the next business venture, um, instead of all these people, like uh, I call it, you know, we have YouTube mechanics. Oh, yeah. That go on and, and I'll watch some of them and I'll read some of these forums and I'm like, why would you even say that? Why would you even do that? Like that is the so wrong way. And you have all these people that are, you know, that feeling educated and they're feeling empowered because they're, they think that they're learning something and that they're doing it the right way. And I'm like, dude, stop drinking the Kool-Aid. Like you need to, if somebody was out there who is like a master mechanic and could do a library, I mean, just like a ginormous library of like every motorcycle component part piece out there product and not only like, oh, this is about the product, but like this is how you install it and do that Harley Davidson service parts manual meant like level of quality, but in a video form and have that be the ultimate platform for people to educate since people are just so quick and have it in a library form where they could just click on a video and learn how to do something accurately. Right. Like that would be a gold mine because well, a lot of people are doing it, but they're doing it sporadically. They're doing it, you know, in biased ways. You know, you get one, one, uh, online setup that does it for these specific vendors because those vendors are, whether they're sponsoring them or whether they're, you know, these ones are involved and these ones aren't, but if it, it wasn't partnership driven and it was just about the products and the motorcycles and to create that, I don't even know. Maybe somebody out there is doing it. I'm not a very... I was just going to say, so. Kevin Baxter from Pro Twin Performance <laughs> in a Baxter's Garage channel on YouTube is probably the yeah. closest thing to what you've explained. He's he's he's. I won't say he's non-biased, but he's not biased based on brand. He's biased based on what he thinks is quality. And so yeah. this is a guy that is... He's He can be a very... He's extremely articulate and he is very detail-oriented. So I think the problem with what you're saying is... It goes back to where we started the conversation an hour ago, where you said people just don't have the ability to to focus and and put in the yeah. t- like things take time, right? Yeah. And and so the higher the quality, the more time it takes, the higher the price, the higher the, the higher it needs to be valued. And we do need to value our time. We do need to value the products that we make. We do need to value the space that we occupy. And so. I, you know, that's, that's my takeaway from talking to you is that, um, you know, you've, you've kind of paved this way, not just for females in the industry, but you've paved a way for people to understand that this is a, I say all the time, the smallest billion dollar industry I can come up with. And the, mm-hmm. the most beautiful part of it is, is I'm only one or two phone numbers away from the CEO of every single 
company in our industry. And from what I understand, there's only about 315 companies in our industry that produce product in that. Yeah. It makes it really small. It makes yeah. it very, very easy to, to navigate through those waters. And, you know, I, I would say that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very elated. We were one of the, we, we were very prideful of the fact that we were one of the first hard drive dealers in Florida. And there was a point in time where we were one of the biggest hard drive dealers in Florida and, and hard drive has always had, they've always had what's in their catalog. Does that make sense? Like the, the, yeah. there's never been like kind of this false, I'm just going to call it out. You know, custom Chrome used to have a four inch thick catalog and they'd have about an inch of it in stock. And now they have about a picture book. Yeah. And it was the coolest. (laughs) Unfortunately. Can we just, can we also admit that it probably for during the chopper era, it was the coolest catalog out of all of them. It had West coast choppers parts in it. It had Paul Yaffe's parts in it. It had Dave Perowitz parts in it. Indian Larry part. Yeah, Yeah, man. You could buy all the cool. Santee and Jammer line. Shasha shoes. Do you remember those? Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Sucker punch. Yeah. Like they were the cat's meow back then. And when I hopped on board with them, it was funny that you kind of touched on it when, you know, I made that jump and I went out there. That was the, the first year that they announced uh, Holger from Custom yep. Chrome Europe. Um, he was the CEO of Custom Chrome USA and he was making big changes and he was using his relationships and bringing people back into the catalog. And for a couple of years, it was really good. Yep. Um, and then unfortunately, it just fell back right back into its old um, struggles. And that's when I decided to, you know, come over to hard drive and, and help this grow. But yeah, it's it's really important. Your fill rate is is super important. It's, it's a struggle right now across the board, but everybody is feeling that just with supply chain issues. But mm-hmm. on the point, you know, like I said, you're the largest hard, hard drive dealer, which is awesome. Thank you very much for that support. And, you know, it's, if you can have it in your catalog and you can have staples and stick to what your niche is um, and what we're trying to do and, and how we're trying to identify ourselves as a distributor in this market, that's going to be the key thing. So you'll see, you'll see it grow for sure. Well, Chris, I, I can't thank you enough. I, like I said, I've been, we, you and I have been phone tagging for, for six, seven months trying to make this happen. And I, <laughs> I, I appreciate we got through, got through all the, the new catalog stuff that you were doing. Um, hard drive dealers, obviously good. What it's, um, hdvtwin.com, right? hdtwin.com. Yeah. hdtwin.com. You're going to find that. And yeah. there's a hard drive dealer pretty much everywhere. WPS is, is if not the largest, one of the largest distributors in the world. And, uh, mm-hmm. they're a fantastic company. Lots of, lots of great brands. I love, I have to tell you, I have to give you a shout out. I'm going to do it right here on, on, on the podcast. <laughs> I bought what is arguably the finest piece of luggage I've ever owned. Those that know me and that the, the, the regular podcast listeners know that I have a shoe problem and you have a house brand called fly that makes absolutely the finest piece of luggage that I have. I bought your carry the carry on bag that has the shoe garage in it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. That yeah. is my actual I, actual travel luggage. Yeah, I love. Yeah. I, I I'm so excited every time because I I I never go anywhere. My wife torments me. I never go anywhere without at least one or two extra pairs of shoes because, <laughs> you know, I'm just I'm that nerdy and, and weird about it. But that fits perfect. Everything fits in there, and it's it's built very very well. So I I appreciate that. I I told everybody this year, my kids. I said, listen, Father's Day, my birthday, whatever. Fly makes a matching backpack. I need to have that backpack so that I have matching luggage when I travel. Your mother has the LV stuff that all matches. I want the fly stuff that that matches. 
That's awesome. So, but Chris, yep. I appreciate your time today. Have a great day. And uh, you know what? Um, if, if anybody's looking for some stuff from Hard Drive or needs more information, go to hdtwin.com and follow Hard Drive online on Instagram. And uh, yep. thank you very much, Chris, for your time today. And uh, I look forward to seeing you very soon in the, in person again. Absolutely. Thank you so much for today. That was fun. All right.